Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. The pandemic has seen no shortage of warning letters, with the FDA and FTC doubling down on their efforts to stop a number of shady business practices. Gene Bruno, Vice President of Scientific and Regulatory Affairs at Twin Labs Consolidation Corporation for Nutrascience Labs, says there has been an increase in confirmed crooked business practices. The certified nutritionist, registered herbalist, and professor joins us now to discuss this troubling trend and what it means for the industry. Hi, Gene, and welcome to the NutriCast. Thanks. I appreciate you bringing me on. Tell me a little bit about your background and how you found yourself at NutriScience Labs. Yeah, so this is actually my 42nd year in the natural product industry. And uh, Twin Lab Consolidation Corporation has various brands. And back in about 2014 or so, we purchased NutriScience Labs and they became part of our fold. And then I started working extensively with NutriScience Labs. What I have done my experience, my background is, you know, I've formulated, you know, really hundreds of uh, dietary supplements for dozens of different companies. And I, I do a lot of training and education for healthcare professionals, sales and customer service people and retailers. I do a lot of writing to peer reviewed journals, trade magazines, and I've written ch- textbook chapters on nutraceuticals. And, you know, uh, I've written a number of books on the use of nutraceuticals for healthcare. So this is my business. I love it. I love being involved in this. And I particularly value the role that I play at NutriScience Labs and helping to develop a lot of evidence-based formulas. Wow. 42 years. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've had to have seen so much has changed, you know, oh, just uh, in the past amazing. 20 years. Amazingly. I mean, I remember uh, not only when Deshay didn't exist yet and people were writing letters and trying to get the law passed. But I remember before that NLEA, the Nutrition Labeling and Education Act, which preceded it, a similar thing going on with that. And I remember before that when there was nothing and it was the wild west out there. So yeah, a lot has happened over that time, most of it for the better, Uh, but you know, some things not. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we're getting there and you know, a lot of people are saying right now, you know, CBD for instance is the wild, wild west. And we're seeing some things that could definitely be regulated or at least better regulated. Oh, of course, you know, and CBD is a certainly a, a good example of that. I've been, you know, very involved in that whole regulatory, uh, uh, which the word I'm looking for, uh, chaotic situation, I guess. <laughs> um, that is something where, um, you know, I don't know what's going to change on that. I can tell you that according to the uh, American Botanical Council, sales of CBD ingestible products has gone down over 30%. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, it was going to go crazy. Everybody was going to be using it. They were making projections in the billions and now sales are dropping. Topical, not so much. It's still pretty good topically. But yeah, that's a very good example of, of the situation that's currently going on. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a lot of reports come out saying that the, you know, amounts of CBD are inaccurate. And so that kind of brings me to my question. You say that there's been an increase in confirmed crooked business practices. What's the cause of this and what's contributing to it, I guess? Sure. Well, let's just stop for a second and say, look at the dietary supplement industry itself and its growth. We're looking at, you know, we don't have the numbers in yet for 2021. 
but in 2020, we were looking, we're looking at a, a, a almost $56 billion industry, and that's a 14, almost 15% increase in sales over 2019. So we have this sort of exponential growth in the industry. Whenever you have that kind of growth, people are going to look at opportunities to become involved and get their little piece of the pie. So now you have more finished good companies who are getting involved, which isn't in itself a bad thing. But a number of these companies, uh, these new kids on the block, care about profit only, not necessarily in quality. Now, you can care about profit and quality, but if it's only profit and you don't mind if your products are, you know, well, not to put a too fine a point on it, crap, then, you know, you can, uh, you can save a lot of money and make a lot of profit and not help anybody. So that's one of the things going on. Now, add to this whole thing that there are pandemic related supply issues, all right? And because of these pandemic related supply issues, this has opened the door for new companies that are supplying ingredients and supplying componentry, bottles and caps and what have you. Now, if you look at the fact that more companies, especially international companies, who may not have any regulatory overview are now getting into the business, then what happens is if you're a company if you're a supplement company here and you can't get the ingredients that you need or you can't get the componentry that you need, you might start consider sourcing from a new company. And when these things happen, when you combine the growth of the industry together with the pandemic-related supply issues, it really is a recipe for a lot of bad players to enter the business. And uh, to a large extent, that's what's going on. And also, some companies that exist are just having such trouble getting products. They're having to settle raw materials. They're settling for something that's less than what it should be, even if it's from a reputable supplier, and maybe not being entirely honest about what they're putting on the label of the product. Okay, mislabeling and adulterating products. Are there any other examples of, of yeah. these poor okay, practices? Okay, so let's, let's look at this. There's been a lot of documented cases of adulteration, unfortunately. And, you know, products have been seized due to high levels of lead, which you typically find in uh, certain kinds of botanicals or certain kinds of proteins. You've also seen the presence of drugs in dietary supplements, anti-obesity, sexual enhancement, steroids, and even other kinds of unapproved ingredients like the selective androgen uh, receptor modulators or SARMs, things that are going in products that are not approved as dietary ingredients. And this is adulteration and this is a big problem. One of the other areas that I think reflects very poor business practices is just poor formulation. Now, if you're not using a clinically relevant dose of ingredients that have been demonstrated to be effective in human research, there's a problem. Now, let me give you an example. Uh, this is just a general one. Let's say you're making a menopause product and you want to use black cohosh. Well, if you're going to follow the research, you need to use somewhere between 40 to 80 milligrams of a black cohosh root extract standardized for 2.5% triterpene glycosides. But oftentimes you look at a product and it'll say black cohosh and a consumer doesn't know the difference. And it's just a general black cohosh root extract. It's not necessarily standardized. You don't know how much you're getting of the uh, marker compounds, or you might even just get a plain root powder that's not an extract at all. And oftentimes you'll find it at the wrong dosage levels. And so you see a situation like that occurring. That's very bad business practice. Or, or another formulation error I see all the time is 
using probiotics in combination with other nutraceuticals that can impact their stability. Now, probiotics don't play well with others. So if you want to mix it with something, you got to make sure you're using a probiotic that will stand up to that. Like a, there, there's certain microencapsulated one or there's spore forming ones. There's ones you could use in that situation. But if you're just using a standard probiotic and you're mixing it with other herbs or vitamins, you know, they'll oftentimes just be dead by the time the consumer uses it. So again, poor formulation leading to, you know, bad business practices. And then there's the pandemic-related supply issues that I mentioned. So you're using incorrect forms of ingredients to avoid going out of stock. And then there's just downright lying about products. Companies making unsubstantiated product claims. You know, they got poor regulatory overview or they just don't care. And these are some of the issues that, you know, that we're dealing with currently. Wow. And you pretty much have to be an expert to know some of this stuff. I mean, I write about oh, yeah. these issues all the time and I didn't know that probiotics don't play well with others. Yeah, they really don't. Um, it, it, it's funny. I often get a request to formulate a probiotic product and I'll get requests and we want to combine it with this and this and that. And I'll have to let people know that's generally not a good idea unless, I mean, there are some exceptions. Basically, you have to make sure all of your raw materials have a very low moisture content. And then you also want to make sure that your probiotic strain is very hardy and can stand up to an interaction that might otherwise cause a a stability issue. So Mm -hmm. there's ways to do it to some extent, but oftentimes you just don't find that. You just find a standard like lactobacillus acidophilus or something mixed in with a bunch of other stuff. And, you know, it's not going to have stability. It's not going to exist by the time the uh, the consumer uses it in most cases. So it's not going to hurt anybody, but it's not going to be no. efficacious either. No, unless, unless, of course, you're using a thermal treated probiotic, which is basically a um, one that is heat killed. And But there's studies on those specific thermal treated probiotics to be effective. And then you don't have to worry about stability because it's already dead. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's funny because a lot of consumers are already intimidated enough by probiotics, prebiotics, postbiotics. You know, there's so many biotics out there. And then you, you throw in all the, the complicated drains and, you know, there's just so much to think about. So, you know, how do they know what they're looking for? The answer is they don't always know. And so one of the things that's encouraging to me, I mean, I'm a baby boomer, but I'm finding some, uh, some surveys that indicate some of the younger population, millennials um, and so forth, are actually spending more time trying to research and see if there's anything real behind the products. And I'm encouraged by that because it does take research. Unfortunately, people think that going to a website and looking something up and just looking at what somebody says on YouTube is research, and that's not. Uh, I'm talking about real scientific research, but unfortunately, unless a consumer has a scientific background. They're not going to go to PubMed. They're not going to look stuff up and see if it's real. So they have to rely on other experts who they trust, who are credible. They have to rely on brands who have good business practices. It's not that new brands might not. They might very well. But typically, brands that have been around for a while that are well-established are a little more likely to do things right. They have greater exposure, so they have to be more careful what they do. They have to say the right stuff. They're more likely to use the right materials. And, you know, that's, I think, what the best advice I could give to a consumer. Make sure you're using a credible, reputable brand and make sure you're getting your information from people you trust. 
health experts or others that, that really don't have a profit motive for giving you the information. Because oftentimes you'll find Dr. So-and-so and he'll say, well, this is what you have to use. Then you'll discover Dr. So-and-so's, you know, on the payroll for uh, one of the brands. And so he's, you know, singing their song, which is not necessarily the, you know, the, the, then the source that you want to get your information from. Or he's a doctor in some unrelated field that has nothing to do with nutraceuticals. Exactly. exactly. And I I have to tell you, I I find that a lot, even even with members of my own family, who shall remain nameless, um, I've heard them say, oh, well, Dr. So-and-so says this. I'm like, yeah, but that doctor has, I've taught healthcare professionals. I've taught doctors and pharmacists. And I can tell you, unless they've had formal training in this in medical school, which most haven't, you know, just being a doctor doesn't mean they automatically know. MD doesn't stand for medical deity. They're not all knowing, you know, and that's the problem. Gene, that is a problem for all of us. Let me tell you, I can't <laughs> tell you how many videos my mom sends me on a daily basis, uh, but we won't even get into oh, that. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it is, it is very encouraging to hear that at least younger generations are doing the research. And another thing that's encouraging, I think, is Amazon. You know, they recently tightened up some of their quality requirements. I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, the sexual enhancement and the weight loss. Is that helping to weed out some of the bad players? You know, I think it is. I think that it's doing that because there are some fairly stringent requirements that they've created that means that products have to be tested and be able to prove that they have in it what they say they have in it. Of course, that doesn't necessarily mean the product is going to work for you. It still depends on whether or not it's properly formulated, but it does mean you're more likely to get a product that actually has in it what it what it's supposed to. Now, there is a double-edged sword to this testing, though. If you have multi-ingredient products like uh, multivitamins and, and that sort of thing, the testing that you do doesn't always come out accurately due to interferences. The more, more nutraceuticals in there, the more interferences you can get in the testing. And this is especially true for ingredients that are measured in micrograms. So let's say you put in 100 micrograms of selenium, it might not come out as showing it has 100 micrograms, even though it was actually put in there, because you have interferences that occur. And you know this is an ongoing problem that all supplement companies who are doing multi-ingredient products testing have to do, and it can make it difficult to get a product passed in through Amazon. Nevertheless, I think what Amazon is doing is a good thing. I would like to see them take, you know, take it a step further. I'd like to see them apply their own stringent standards to themselves. And this is what I mean. Amazon doesn't store their dietary supplements in a temperature controlled warehouse stated in their own documentation, which means that supplements in some months of the year can be exposed to temperatures as much as 155 degrees. And I'm of the mind that they should move those supplements to a temperature controlled warehouse because if if a supplement company does everything it's supposed to do, tests it, does everything, sends it out there. If it sits for a couple of months in an Amazon warehouse at 155 degrees, I can't tell you that it's going to have the same level of heat sensitive nutrients in it that it did when it arrived. So I would like to see them make that change. The only thing they're doing is sending out to companies saying, I need you to sign this paper saying that uh, your, your product will withstand 155 degrees. Well, you know, that, that doesn't make it so. So uh, I'd, like, I'd like to see that change. But all that being said, I think overall, it's a good thing that they're doing. And that in doing so, one of the things that a brands need to be aware of is that at the end of the day, your proof to Amazon is producing a certificate of analysis 
that has all the data on it that it's supposed to have. So if you're getting your products made at contract manufacturers, you need to use a good one like a new for science labs that can make sure you have all the data you need in the format you need it to get Amazon to accept it. So that's a consideration as well. Okay. And so what are some other things that should be considered? I mean, right now is price gouging raw materials an issue? Yeah. You know, price gouging, I'm I, I personally am looking at this and saying, how much of it is price gouging? Meaning this, certainly costs have increased for some materials. You're seeing some things that were much lower in cost, like magnesium, jump up in in its cost per kilo. Uh, And you're seeing this a lot. Is it price gouging? Maybe it is hard to say in all cases because you have increase in transport costs. I, I mean, I was just on the phone with a supplier discussing a raw material and said, wait a minute, you, you originally gave me a price of 150 a kilo on this. Why is it 200 now? And he went through the entire thing, explained what's happening, shipping from overseas and the increased costs that have happened and you know, made a reasonable argument for why that happens. And you know, that's a substantial increase. Uh, and I've seen this happening a lot. So if you also look at the fact that material availability is reduced because of the pandemic, so you have places that were supposed to produce certain crops, do certain things that that aren't happening at the same level they were supposed to, you combine those with transportation costs, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of people were delivering their raw materials by air and they would go on passenger airplanes. So they would just go down in the hold and there was extra space and they'd do it. Well, suddenly all these flights weren't happening and so now the cost to ship aren't, isn't so cheap anymore and goes up substantially. And so there's a lot of factors in play now as to why raw materials are going up. Is it just a, a, a supply and demand alone? I don't think it's that alone. You have these other issues of the costs and everything that come into play. So I, I imagine there is some price gouging happening. And in many cases, I think it's not. I think it's just you know, the nature of the beast, what's going on right now. Yeah, it just sounds like it's much, much of it's boiling down to shipping delays. Can brand owners do anything about this or is this something they should just accept as the new normal? So I have sort of two answers for that. I would say until the pandemic is under full control, it's kind of the new normal. But that being said, here's what brand owners can do. First of all, they can get their projections as accurate as possible provide those projections for their material needs in advance to the vendors through whom they purchase them, right? Getting that in as soon as possible allows the vendors to do what they need to do to make sure that the materials are available. Then my other recommendation is to keep a raw material supply that's at least three months ahead of what you need so that any delays that take place, you're going to be covered. You got a little wiggle room there because you've ordered an extra supply to have on hand. You know, not a lot of companies always want to do that because now you're putting money into inventory uh, that you don't see back immediately. But the good news is then you don't have to worry about out of stocks and, uh, you know, you're able to supply your customers accordingly. So those are the things that they can do. Projections and keeping a raw material supply three months ahead of what they need. Okay. Sage advice right there. And then what about ingredients that maybe could be suitable substitutes? Is that something that brand owners should consider? Yeah. So 
if you're going to look at, if, if you come up in something and say, like, for example, this happened recently, again, I won't mention the product, but there was a particular vitamin C material derived from a, a plant extract that was suddenly unavailable. Oh, now what do you do? So you say, okay, is this an opportunity to do something better with it? Can you now not just go, I got to find something to fill in the gap. Can you do something new and improved? So, you know, I looked at the data, found a nice vitamin C lipid metabolite material, looked at the research on that, which was far better than the, the research on the previous material, did more stuff, had better retention of the body and better absorption, said, hey, let's do a new and improved version of this. And the material is readily available. And voila, you have a solution, but it's not always that neat. A lot of times you need to source the ingredient somewhere else. And if you're going to source it, you have to say, okay, does this new material meet the same specifications? All right. For example, if it's an herb, is it the same plant part? Is it the same extraction method? Is the same marker compound being used for standardization? You have to look carefully and make sure it's an apples to apples substitute. Even things like, is the mesh size correct? Because when you're manufacturing it, that can change the nature of the beast. And suddenly you go, oh, this isn't fitting in the capsule. It used to fit in the capsule. You have to say, does the supplier's certificate of analysis provide all of the required data? Is the supplier you're getting it now from reputable? And most importantly, conduct third-party testing to verify the identity and the potency of the material. Don't just accept the C of A as uh, uh, the Bible of, oh yeah, it, it's the right thing. You have to trust, but verify. <laughs> and so those are the things you need to do if you're looking at suitable substitutes. Okay. So maybe not quite as easy as the acerola vitamin C sort of situation, but think outside of the box is sort of what it comes down yeah. to. Yeah. Think outside of the box and then do your due diligence and, um, and your research and your testing to verify the new material that you're finding you know, meets the standards. And before I let you go, Gene, is there anything you want to talk about? Maybe some new research or some trends that you're seeing? You know, I'm a science guy. So typically when I'm asked this kind of question, I love to sit there and talk about research on new raw materials and all of that. But I want to do something just a little different. I want to talk about what my friends in the marketing department normally do, which is trends. So there's a couple of trends and the trends I want to talk about are what we've seen at Nutriscience Labs, because we keep, when you start getting in a lot of calls, we get in many, many calls on, on a weekly basis, you start seeing trends. What are people asking for? So there's some of them. There's, there's been an uptick in requests for, not surprisingly, immune products still continue to, to, to trend. Digestive products, uh, we're getting a lot of requests for that. Hydration products, which is interesting and weight loss products. So those are things we're seeing an uptick in requests for, and that seem to be trending amongst brand owners. Now, if you look at a recent spins report, you know, you see some interesting things. Not unexpectedly, they're reporting that the natural market is getting stronger. Well, we know the natural market is getting stronger. That customers care about immunity? Well, absolutely. And that there's a lot of buzz going around about herbs and other botanicals. And of course, that is consistent with the American Botanical Council's report showing strong category growth of uh, herbal supplements by 14% compared to like around, you know, eight or seven or eight percent each year progressively. And then suddenly it jumped up 14%, probably associated with the pandemic. 
Um, and so, so the, the fact that herbs and botanicals are continuing to trend and, and, and getting a lot of attention makes a great deal of sense. And the other thing is that uh, the SPINS report showed was that shoppers are looking for transparency. They mm -hmm. like to know information like, is there like on a product, is there a connection, connection to local farms, is it sustainably packaged? Is there biographical information about the people behind the business? Things that show transparency that give consumers a sense of trust. So again, immune, digestive, hydration, weight loss, and of course, herbs, botanicals, and transparencies are the things that seem to be trending right at the moment. Now, the weight loss, is that something to do with the new year? People, you know, who maybe overindulged over the holidays, is that something that happens every, you know, January? It does. And then there's another feature. Uh, people joked a lot where you see a lot of comedians and late night shows joking about with, with the pandemic, people were staying at home a lot and not going out. And they didn't necessarily always use the opportunity to get fit. <laughs> Sometimes they uh, did a lot of overeating and started using sweatpants and then uh, yep. discovering that, <laughs> oh, this isn't fitting anymore. And yep. so they got their, what I like to call their pandemic belly. And so now they need to do something about it. And so they're looking for weight loss supplements. And you add that to the fact that people are always making those changes in the new year. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's trending quite a bit. And you also mentioned hydration and that's curious. I mean, when people, are they just getting dehydrated? Is this a result of, you know, maybe drinking the night before? Why would it's consumers more, seek out that hydration? It's more of a trend that we're seeing in the sports nutrition area. Gotcha. So that, that's the thing that's going on and looking for products that will help them beyond just drinking water, things they can add to their water that are going to help them to get hydrated quicker, remain hydrated, and maybe have a few other bells and whistles help them in that whole sports nutrition process. That's a, a trend that we're seeing quite a bit. I mean, in fact, I've had in the last month and a half, I've had three separate requests to formulate a hydration product for three different companies. Wow. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> and then you also mentioned immunity. I mean, that's not going anywhere, right? It's not going anywhere. And, you know, even when you look at various industry experts or projections on what's going to happen, even though it's projected that once everything gets under control again, that, that the market for immunity products will drop, it won't drop to the extent of where it was at pre COVID. People are now just far too aware of the importance of immune function. And so they'll, Though it's going to go down, it won't go down as much. But at the moment, it's still running strong. You hear about all the new variants and everything happening. And people are very concerned and doing anything that they can do. And there's a lot of nutraceuticals that one can use in supplements, you know, taking many different approaches to promote, you know, healthy immune function. And so, yeah, I don't see that tapering off anytime soon. All right. And it is nice to hear that people are putting their health and wellness first and it's top of mind. It's about time. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Jean Bruno of NutriScience Labs. Thank you so much for sitting down with me here on the NutriCast and sharing all your wonderful insights. Uh, you are most welcome. Thank you for having me. If you like what you just heard, you could subscribe to the NutriCast wherever you get your podcast. You can also head to NutraIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutri-related content. Thank you for listening. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutriCast next week.